0: Ghostly Thistle presents The Antique Shop Episode 45 The Power to Let Go there's nothing like a two page brochure to get your heart racing. I didn't know what I expect to happen by staring at the same words on a glossy page. My future just slotting into place. A light bulb moment where I immediately know what direction I want to take my life. Is there even any point? We've been having career talks at uni. Companies coming in to give us the corporate bullshite about how it's great to be a small cog in a huge machine, forgotten and underpaid. The university itself makes it very obvious they'd love Mori our money so we can get extra letters at the end of our names. Mori my pals are making plans, accepting jobs, mapping out their futures. And I've been. Watching. Torn between wanting that life and knowing I can never have it. What was the point in these brochures, these talks, these job applications, when my future was out of my control? The strangest thing was, I wasn't even that bothered. At some point in the last few years, I'd come to prefer knowing that my life wouldn't follow the mundane steps of everyone else. And although I didn't like the methods, still didn't like the concept. E the madams, I do feel lucky to see a different side e the world than the ninety-five. I can't imagine ever going back to full-time normal. When the bell above the door goes, I put away the brochure. thankful Thankfully, any distraction that wasn't a fin lurking darkly amongst the antiques. I found it difficult to hide my surprise when Reed walked in alone. I was about to make a dig, a casual, "Hello, stranger, or do I know you?" When Finn beat me to it, except without the joking. With sarcasm that I could taste on the tip of my tongue, he said that he was honored Reed would visit the shop. "'snarkily reminding him that he was spending all his time with his special pals "'and neglecting the people that really mattered. "'Finn and Reed used to bicker, to snipe at each other, "'but there was never venom in their words, never bitterness. "'But that was before. "'Reed looked as shocked as I felt at the attack.' So much that he didn't reply. Before my fox familiar had a chance to retaliate, or the wyvern gathered the energy to have another go, I proclaimed loudly that it didn't matter. Reed and I needed to go and visit a customer that had come in the previous day about a ghost problem. Ah, I forgot to mention that. The previous day, a lassie, a few years older than me, had come in to see the Madam about a haunting she claimed was happening in her flat. Now, I've been at this for long enough to know there is no such thing as ghosts. Cursed objects, paintings that change themselves, people who are actually animals, but no ghosts. That's a step too far. Madame Norna said that she'd send someone to investigate the flat in the next few days. Since Finn couldn't leave the shop and Kronos wasn't one for trips outside either, it meant I had to wait for Reed to appear. We see him out the window a few times a week, but he rarely comes in the shop. Until that day. Recognising an escalating situation when I saw one, I stared Reed out of the door before his scowl deepened and he thought he a snarky response to Finn's attack. No sooner were we outside and on our way to the bus stop, he asked me what the fuck Finn's problem was, and I didn't know how to answer. After a few moments of silence, I told him there'd been teething problems with Finn's new way of life. I reminded him that he wasn't in the shop as much as he used to be, and we all just missed him. Me especially. But I thought that detail was best left unsaid. We'd all made a promise not to lie to each other, but there was definitely a way to diplomatically tell the truth—a way Finn hadn't bothered with. There was no point in getting angry or frustrated with Reed or attacking him for his absence; that wouldn't get us anywhere. Even though my mind had been focused on Finn and his changing attitude and personality, I didn't like Reed's sudden prolonged absences, or the endless line a special pals he had. My words diffused Reed's oncoming bad mood, and he admitted that he hadn't been a runt, and going forwards, he'd try to be in more. I felt like there was more he wanted to say. He went to open his mouth a few times, looked at me as though I was telepathic and could read his mind, before the bus arrived and our conversation was put on hold. Our conversation ended because no one wants to be that person on a bus, and when it did start up again as we alighted at our stop, the focus was on the reason why we were making a house call to a customer. The customer lived with two other lassies, and recently one of them had passed away suddenly. Reid and I immediately agreed it was probably a memory, but both of us were confused as to what the madam expected us to do about it. We were buzzed into the red brick tenement where the customer and her pals had their flat. Both of us were relieved when they lived on the first floor and know the top. Our footsteps echoed up the stone stairwell as we marched up to the door and rang the bell. The flat was like any I'd been in before. I even lived in one similar, with high ceilings, white painted mouldings and large windows that let what little light any Scottish city gets. This was no student flat. This place was clean, neat and tidy. We bookshelves, coffee table, clean sink, and even cleaner carpets. There were no clothes strewn around, no empty takeaway containers and underwear drying on any place they'd hang. Know that my flat looks anything like that. I didn't see anything strange in the flat, no ghostly apparition, no strange sounds. When I glanced at Reed, he shook his heed. I asked the customer where the most activity had been, and she said it had been everywhere, but mostly it was in the deed lassie's room. Her family hadn't been to the flat yet to pack up her belongings, so everything was where it had been when she died. I can't explain the strange sense of wrong I felt as I went into a stranger's bedroom. Maybe it's because I was uninvited by the owner. Or because I knew I was there to snoop and pretend I knew what I was doing. The thought that I shouldn't be there caused my teeth to grind together and kept Reed on edge as he skittered around the edges of the room, no daring to touch anything. Both of us were so on edge that when we heard a sneeze face somewhere else in the flat, we jumped out of our skins. The customer explained that her remaining flatmate was home, but since their other flatmate's death didn't come out of her room much, and when she did, spent a lot of time in the one we were in. We nodded in understanding and carried on with our half-hearted search, neither of us knowing what we were supposed to find or what would trigger the apparent memory to appear. After drawing my eyes over some stuffed toys, a laptop, a few sketch pads, and plants that looked surprisingly lively considering their owner was gone, my gaze snagged on the cover of a book that was on the bedside table, bookmark slotted in the pages. It looked like quite an old book, one you'd find in a charity or used bookshop. We wrinkled spine and browning pages and the smell a age and decay. The title was the biggest thing on the cover and dwarfed whatever cover art there was. Death's Greatest Love and Other Tales. I find my hand reaching out to touch the book, and I didn't realise I'm doing it until the customer asks if I'm familiar with the story. My hand stops before my fingers can feel the battered cover, and I glance over, shaking my heed. Reid does the same after he comes over to look at the book. Just as the customer is about to tell us about the book with a strange title, we hear the sound of something falling to the floor in the living room where we've just been. All of us rush to where the noise is, and finally we see the silhouette of a lassie. The one who's smiling in the pictures she keeps in her room. She's no smiling new. This lassie is as real as any human I've ever met. And beings no so human. She's no translucent. She's no floating. It's like she's still flesh and blood. I've only ever seen one memory and it looked similar. A quiet, silent presence. Melancholy but at peace. This lassie, if she was a memory, was far fae those things. She stood amongst the debris in the bookcase that had been standing in the corner, its contents scattered on the floor. Books fallen open, more plant pots broken with dirt spilled on the carpet, the fairy lights that hung for the edges of the shelves tangled and smashed. I expected a full on poltergeist to be thrown across the room to get hurt. But the memory of the lassie did not appear to be angry. Her brows were drawn together and she looked frantically at the customer, shaking her head as though to say that it had been an accident. I briefly wondered if memories could not talk, because this one looked as though she desperately wanted to. Instead, the customer filled the silence with their desperate plea to us to get rid of the ghost. Shite, did she think that's what we were there to do? Had Madame Norna said that's what was going to happen? Reed and I desperately stared at each other, hoping the other would have a solution to our current predicament. Once again, we were saved by something else. The third flatmate, the one who'd sneezed earlier, had emerged from her room and frantically shouted at us to stop and to no harm her pal. It's been a while since I've encountered a memory, and I forgot the most important thing about them. They only exist because someone wants them to. Someone can let them go. In time, they fade. Wounds heal and grief is lessened. If the customer had gone to the madam in the hopes of getting rid of the memory, that could only mean that the remaining flatmate was the one who was unable to let go. The customer asked her flatmate if she was crazy, and that they couldn't carry on living in a haunted flat. The ghost needed to move on. Read, we as much grace as a bull in a china shop told the customer that it wasn’t a ghost. I threw him a sarcastic glare, but he didn’t seem to realize his mistake. The flatmate, a lassie a wee bit younger than the customer, still dressed in her pajamas, confessed that she didn’t want their flatmate to move on, and that she shouldn’t have died in the first place. A few days after the flatmate had died, this lassie had found a book at the uni Library. Amongst many other mischievous things, it told her about memories and how they needed an anchor to hold them in place. So the lassie became that anchor. The customer stood stiffly, her eyes darting between the memory of her flatmate and the flesh-and-blood one who'd been desperate not to let her pal go. I began to feel queasy as I watched the drama unfold, and slowly began to realise that Ad didn't have a leg to stand on. After sorting through her thoughts, the customer launched into an angry tirade, calling her pal selfish for doing such a thing, and that the deed needed to find peace, no be tied to a world they're no longer a part of. Their flatmate was deed and gone. She deserved to move on, and no worry about the people she left behind. The customer demanded... That the memory be let go. My tongue felt a few sizes too big for my mouth, and I could not talk. Whatever arguments or observations or reasons I had died in my throat. The barbed words may no have been directed at me, but I felt the stingy them all the same. It felt a read to explain that memories fade with time, no matter how hard people want to cling on. We nothing further to do, no further help to give, we left the two lassies with their memory. We both stood at the bus stop, waiting on the bus, watching as the cars drove by going about their lives. As though there was no such thing as loss or grief or death or deals. I stared at the ground, pretending I wasn't a weighed doon by shame. Noticing my declining mood, Reed pointed out that what I'd done for Finn wasn't the same as what the lassie had done for her deed flatmate. I agreed. What I'd done was worse. At least the memory would fade. She could eventually move on and find peace. I'd trapped Finn in a cage made of antiques and history, somewhere he could never leave alive. I'd taken his freedom so I could keep him around, and to put the sour cherry on top of this awful cake, I regretted what I'd done, and dreaded being around him. It sounded like a fitting punishment to me. Reed let the silence settle before he cleared his throat and squared his shoulders, as if he was about to fight someone. Despite his posturing, he was looking down at his hands, picking at his nails to ease the discomfort of what he was about to say. In what can only be described as a sheepish fashion, Reed told me what he'd been trying to tell me earlier. I wasn't the only one affected by Finn's death. After watching one of his closest pals die in his arms, Reid had begun to reevaluate his life. Began to scrutinise it. Began to see what was missing. He began to feel like he hadn't really been living. He'd been bouncing around, causing trouble, and getting into it in equal measure. Then, when he'd found the shop, he'd been drawn in just as everyone else had. But when Finn had died for a few moments, Reed realised how fragile his life really was. How short it could get cut. Even though foxes and other creatures had a longer lifespan than humans, they were still relatively easy to kill, given someone had the will and knowledge. He didn't want his life to revolve around the shop. A storm of emotions swept through my thoughts frustration, anger, understanding. I couldn't really be angry because hadn't I been struggling with the same thoughts? The difference was that I didn't have a choice. I had taken away that choice for Finn and he was suffering. How could I expect Reed to join our club in misery? If he had re-evaluated his life and found that it was lacking romantic partners, then he was free to have fun with however many he wanted. I wasn't going to cling to him like a limpet onto a rock. I hadn't been able to let Finn go, and it had caused him pain and misery. I wouldn't make the same mistake twice. Reed promised that he'd be a more, in the shop at least once a week. But that wasn't going to solve my problem with Finn. Reed looked at me then, a small smiley sympathy tugging at his lips. He told me that the only person who could fix my problems with Finn was me. But that neither of us would ever be able to get past this, if we didn't talk about it. Fuck! I really hate it when he's right. <laughs> A light bulb moment where I immediately know where I went We were buzzed and buzzed. <laughs> oh no! We bookshelves copied. Copy, copy table. The customer launched into an angry tirade, calling her pale. Pell. Whatever arguments or observations or re regions Regions Thank you for listening to episode 45 of the antique shop episode 46 will be released in two weeks time if you'd like to support the show please think about leaving a review and rating wherever you listen to podcasts if you'd like to go above and beyond for the podcast then think about visiting our coffee account by searching for ghostly thistle on coffee.com and donating however much you can If you'd like to get in touch about this podcast or my other podcast then you can message me on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Ghostly Thistle or email me at ghostly.thistle at gmail.com. If you are interested in some of the behind the scenes and inspirations for the episodes in this podcast then do join the subreddit by searching for the Antique Shop Pod on Reddit and join in the discussion. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.